When I was 19 years old, that was a couple of years ago, um, I was coming back from a pretty serious spiritual crisis, and uh, I realized that I didn't really have a relationship with God. What I had was fire insurance, a get-out-of-hell-free card, because I didn't want to go to hell, so, you know, accept Jesus, say all the right words, say the magic prayer, and everything's good, right? I found that that didn't work. Um, so, after I crashed and burned trying to be a Christian, uh, I decided that I really wanted to soak myself in the Word of God and get to know Him more myself. And I really wanted to get to know what Jesus had to say, and so what I did was I immersed myself in the Sermon on the Mount. I memorized all three chapters. I read every morning and every evening the Sermon on the Mount, and I meditated on it all day long, and it changed my life. I highly recommend that. If you're going to just spend time in one piece of the Bible, this is the greatest part of it. So I was real excited when Mike decided that he was going to be preaching through this section because it's something that I love. So. I get to preach to you on part of this this morning. Um, those of you who know me well know that I'm rather ADD and impulsive and run around doing crazy things, and um, I'm really thankful for the Apostle Peter. I've said this before, I will say it again, I think the man was ADD and so impulsive it was a little bit ridiculous. Let me remind you of a couple of these. So. The disciples take off in a boat. They're struggling at the oars. Jesus comes walking on the water, and Peter says, ooh, 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 me too. And Jesus says, come on. So he gets out of the boat, starts walking, and as soon as he figures out where he is and what is going on, he freaks out, starts sinking, right? Cries out for help. Um, the Mount of Transfiguration. So Jesus is on the mountain with his disciples, Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus starts glowing, Moses and Elijah show up, and Peter gets all excited, wants to build a theme park. Hey, here's the deal, we're going to build a temple for you, and a temple for Moses, and a temple for Elijah, and lots of people are going to come, and it's going to be great. And Jesus has to calm him down and say, no, you're not going to tell anybody about this for the time being. And then there is the night of the Passover where the night before Jesus is crucified or goes to trial and he's washing his disciples' feet and he comes to Peter. And Peter, you know, says, Lord, never, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, you know, if you don't get washed, you can't have any part of me. And so Jesus, being the overachiever, says, well, then great, give me a bath, right? I like this because it gives me hope <laughs> that there is some good that I can do. But I told you all of that to tell you an embarrassing story. First off, when I was a kid, I was the little kid. Um, I went into middle school not quite four feet tall and weighing less than, well, right around 60 pounds. Um, I tried, to be, I tried to be a wrestler, which was a little bit yeah, out of the ordinary because first off, they didn't have any weight class that was light enough for me. Um, and so I would either have a bye week or I would be wrestling 10 to 15 pounds above my weight. Um, 
So that didn't work out real well. But it turns out I was just the right size to be stuffed into the lockers and locked in. I was just the right size for two football players to pick me up and put me upside down into a trash can and generally bully me because I was this little guy and it was super easy to pick on me. Fast forward 30-ish years, and one morning I'm getting ready for work and I hear a commotion outside the window. I'm brushing my teeth and I look out and I see two bigger kids picking on a little kid. And I'm kind of upset about this, but it's, it's out there, they're at the bus stop, okay? And I was going to ride my motorcycle to work that day, so got dressed, got my leather jacket on, got my bike out of the garage, and I look over and I see the two big kids still picking on the little kid and doing rather rude things to him, one holding him and the other one being rude, and triggers. I am angry, right? So I storm across the street in my leather jacket looking rather um, ominous and I get a hold of a handful of jacket of each of these kids and I have a chat with them. And I say, do you know what makes me angry? I didn't turn green, but I kind of felt like it. You know what makes me angry? Bullies make me angry. And you know the dangerous thing about being a bully? You never know who's watching. And I had a stern talk to him, looked him in the eye, and I let him go, and I went to work. Later in the day, I had a rather angry phone call from a father. Um, What I didn't tell you is these kids are maybe third or fourth grade. (laughs) This is why... This morning, if you look at your bulletin, I am not talking about salt and light. I talked about salt and lightning. Um, A friend of mine who uh, was a great supporter of me in working with youth and all of that um, thought it was funny to remind me of the times that I was salt and lightning in the neighborhood. So... um, Anyway, we are continuing through the Sermon on the Mount this morning with Matthew 5, 13 through 16, where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Um, Now, normally when I preach, I, uh, I like to preach off of my iPad and have some great graphics and stuff for you so you got something to look at other than me. I did not have time for that this week. So um, for those of you that need something, I have my coffee cup from Wildwood, New Jersey, and it says, stay salty. (laughs) So I'm going to put that right here so you can look at that instead of me, okay? (sighs) What mental images do you have when you think of being salt? When someone is referred to as being salty, what do you think? I, uh, I have 
a number of young people in my life. Hey, older folks, keep young people in your life. A, they keep you young. B, you get to pass on things to them that are important. Um, this is a young man that I usually, um, when I'm struggling with a sermon, I will say, hey, let's go hike Barnes Butte. And I try to get all the thoughts out of my head that are in there um, and, and get a coherent way to communicate what it is I'm thinking because my brain is rather random. Anyway, so I asked him this question and he pretty much nailed what the Oxford English Dictionary says. Are you ready? The Oxford English Dictionary says that salty as a slang word means angry, irritated, or hostile. Nailed it. To undergo a sudden change of mood or outlook and become angry or annoyed with someone. Um, in the old Western novels, anybody else love Louis L'Amour? When somebody was referred to as being a salty character, they were a bad man. Quick on the draw, deadly, not someone you want to cross, right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. Those in the Navy or who have spent time on sailing ships will refer to someone as an old salt or a salty dog. This is someone who has been around the world, who spent a lot of time at sea and in seaports and can handle themselves. This is not someone you want to mess with. This is not what Jesus is talking about. Context, context, context. When we are reading the scriptures, we need to look at context deeply. Language evolves over time and it doesn't always mean the same thing now that it meant then. Think about the slang words kids are using today and you listen to them and you go, what in the world does that mean? And they know exactly what it means. We don't because we're old and out of touch. Right, Lib? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so when Jesus called his disciples the salt of the earth, it's not what he was thinking about being dangerous about being ornery, cantankerous, and quick to be annoyed. So Peter, James, and John, what did they do for a living? They were fishermen. Okay, so when he said salt to them, you are the salt of the world, what were they thinking about? Preserving fish. No such thing as refrigeration in those days. So when they brought in the day's catch, the first thing they did was salt it down to preserve it, to keep it from rotting, from going bad. So preserving it for market and later use. Where do you think the salt came from in those days? Did they just go down to the grocery store, buy a 50-pound bag of rock salt, and everything was good? No. Salt was difficult to come by, and it was actually quite valuable because it was so hard to come by. Did you know that there was a time that they actually paid Roman soldiers in salt? Why? Because it was valuable and it was easily traded. It was an in-demand commodity. Did you know, under the Old Testament covenant in Leviticus, you can look this up, Leviticus 2.13. says, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. 
all your offerings you shall offer salt. And then in 2 Chronicles 13, 5, it says, Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? So salt has a really different meaning in this context than it does in our day-to-day thinking. Salt was critical for the preservation of food. It was valuable as a trading commodity and it was sacred as part of the covenant and the mark of the covenant. Two men would make an agreement, usually a peace agreement, and to seal it, they would each eat some salt. When Jesus refers to his disciples as the salt of the earth, in the context of the Beatitudes, he makes this statement after telling them what salt looks like. Let me read to you this part of the... uh, Judy, what are you laughing at? She's laughing at me. It's okay. Um, Let me read the first part of the Beatitudes to you from the Amplified Version, which I know Marlene will appreciate, but I don't think she's here. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he said... Blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy, and to be admired are the poor in spirit, those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace are those who mourn over their sins and repent, for they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted. Blessed, inwardly peaceful, spiritually secure, worthy of respect are the gentle, the kind-hearted, the sweet-spirited, the self-controlled, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed, joyful, nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who actively seek right standing with God, for they will be completely satisfied." So being salt or salty looks like being poor in spirit, knowing that you ain't all that. Being mournful over your own sin. Being gentle and meek and not someone who grabs small children by their jacket and yells at them. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. A covenant of salt in the sacrificed of the Christ, the Son of God, of the line of David. Jesus goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What do you think of when you hear the light of the world? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Remember lighthouses? A sailor might think of the light of the world as that lighthouse that would show them where the safe harbor was so they could find their way home in the dark, right? When's the last time you saw a lighthouse actually working? 
So for you kids, GPS satellite, looking for that signal to tell you where you are so you can get where you need to go could be a new metaphor for the light of the world. How about those super bright LED lights on your truck on the dark back road in the middle of nowhere and you need to see where the road's going so you can stay on it? Um, some of you know I have a detailing business. I clean cars for a living. I wear a super bright headlamp on my head when I'm cleaning those cars so that I can look under the seats and in all the nooks and crannies and find all the stuff that's hidden there. If you want to feel good about yourself, I don't recommend you do that at home. Jesus used the metaphors of a lamp on a lampstand and a city on a hill. The light is to shine so that others can see it and benefit from its light. Jesus said that he was the light of the world. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Jesus didn't say, be the light. Jesus said, you are the light. Merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. When the light of the world shines through us, that's who we become. Let me read to you again from the Amplified Version. Blessed content, sheltered by God's promises, are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed, anticipating God's presence, spiritually mature, are the pure in heart, those with integrity, moral courage, and godly character, for they will see God. Blessed, spiritually calm, with life joy in God's favor, are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they will express his character and be called the sons of God. When we live like salt and light, when we have this inward heart attitude, the outward presence of the light that lives in us, something is going to happen. What do you think it is? Here's a hint. Doc preached about it last week. You will be persecuted. That's a promise. Did you know that? 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 14 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You can expect it. It's coming. Be ready for it. You may have also noticed that the scripture reading this morning was from Galatians 5. I spent a lot of time looking at the Beatitudes, which I think is a bit of a misnomer. I don't think they are Beatitudes. I think they are our attitudes. You either are or you are not. Galatians 5.22 lists the fruit of the Spirit. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How do you think that lines up with the Beatitudes? Sounds like the same thing to me. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When we get our eyes off Jesus, when we are not soaked in the word, when we are not living with the fullness of Christ in us, being fully salted with his word and with the covenant, the light does not shine. We will know when it does because you will be persecuted. Now, in this country, mainly that comes with name-calling and being told how silly you are for believing that. But in different parts of the country, there are people dying because they believe and the light shines through them. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You don't hide it. You can't hide it. If it's in you, it shines. You will shine. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they will see your good deeds and moral excellence and recognize and honor and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Salt and light are others-centered. It's not necessarily for us. When Jesus said, you are the salt of the world, we are to go into the world and be salt. We are to go into the world and let that light shine through us. And we have, when we have the heart attitudes and the actions of the Beatitudes, we will be salt and light in our world. That was a short one for you. So let's pray and the worship team will come up. Father God, we ask that you would search our hearts right now. Lord, that you would show us if we have or have ever had that situation of being poor in spirit, if we have mourned over our sin, if we have hungered and thirsted for righteousness, if we are walking in meekness and gentleness, Lord, have we been persecuted for our faith? Have we been made fun of or put down because of our faith in you? Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show us whether we are walking with you or not that you would be the one that shines through us, that we would put to death those things of the flesh, those desires that are against who you are. Father, we thank you for everything that you do for us, the way that you protect us. Help us to be salt and light in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.